Welcome to Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. I'm your host, Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist and President and CEO of Paradium. My teams and I redefine success for purpose-driven families and businesses by challenging social norms and balancing family and finance to build kingdom impact and generational prosperity. I believe that there are families and businesses that have learned to give a new definition to the word success from a kingdom perspective. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the next 20 to 30 minutes where we take traditional thinking and turn it upside down. This is Eric L. Donovan, the Mindset Disruption Strategist. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Redefining Success. And today is going to be a great day. We've got David Fontenot, the CEO and co-founder of Adaptive Medical Partners. And I am excited for him to kind of tell the story because they are filling a very unique niche that is really, truly needed today in today's marketplace, especially in the healthcare industry. And I'll let him tell you more about that. Um, but I couldn't be more excited to have him here today. So David, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. Yeah. So David, my first question for every single guest is it is a Saturday afternoon. I've got the barbecue going. I know that you've spent time in South Louisiana, so maybe I've got a crawfish boil going as well. Um, and so I've invited all my friends over, and this is a conversation among friends. So would you introduce yourself to my friends, please? Yeah, I'll tell you, I'm kind of an introvert, so I'd probably just kind of hang back, um, eat some crawfish, and, and wait for them to introduce themselves to me and make it a little bit easier. Uh, I'm an extroverted introvert, right? I, I pull it out whenever I have to, the, the, the personality, I guess. Um, but yeah, thanks for your introduction, by the way. Um, but um, I'm the CEO and co-founder here at Adaptive Medical Partners. And if any of your friends were in healthcare, I'd probably ask them if they were struggling to find any providers these days, because it seems like everybody is. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you kind of mentioned that, that, that we're serving a real niche. And there was already a physician shortage going on. Um, our, our company does physician staffing, by the way. We do permanent placement physician staffing all across the country. And we it's not just physicians, but really any healthcare provider, nurse practitioners and NPs and all of that. Um, the shortage was already being felt pretty significantly in all the rural areas. But now with the pandemic, I mean, there's so many burning out and, and retiring out um, or even going into professional life that you know, everyone, the, the, everyone in healthcare, their needs are... Um, just been exacerbated like you wouldn't believe. Um, we're going to start feeling it in the metro areas. Um, you know, I'm in Dallas, and and we, you know, we don't have to wait to see a provider in Dallas. And you know, you've got New Orleans right there. You don't have to wait to see a provider. You've got choices. Yeah. But in the next four or five years, it's going to start to feel different um, to us. We're going to be waiting a little bit longer, especially for specialists. So, mm. Mm. Um, so after I painted a picture to your guests, as far as how difficult the situation is, I would then see if they had any uh, needs for me to, to help them out. To, to, I'm shameless whenever it comes to that because there's so much need out there these days. And, and that's how proud I am of the work that we do. I know we can help. So let me, let me ask you this along those lines. What are you most passionate about right now? Well, I mean, right now and probably for the last... 14 years or so, um, 
And it's not just my passion, but my, my co-founder, my business partner, founder um, with me's passion, and really everybody in the building, we've got 30 plus folks here. Um, it's, it's, it, it's following through on what we've committed to. Um, and what we've committed to to our clients is that we're going to bring providers into their community. And we're working 95% rural market stuff. So it's, you know, we're, when we're bringing in a OB or a urologist or something into a community hospital, it may be the only one. They, they may have been waiting for a year or two. So what we're passionate about is the quality of the work and the ability to be able to place that candidate and get a provider into that community to serve those patients as quickly as we possibly can. So as a company, that's a passion of the company and it's a passion of mine that we know that we're not just changing the provider that we're moving, you know, out of California to Texas or Tennessee or someplace like that. There's a lot of that going on right now um, and changing and affecting their life and their future. Really the most impact is in the community where that provider is going into, um, especially if they've been struggling to place it and it have been short for a long time. And my personal passion here in the office um, I think you're familiar. I'm part of C12 and have been for, I'm, I'm fairly new. I've been there for a year. Faith has always been really important to me my whole life, childhood and, and on. Um, but C12 has given me the tools and the skill set to be able to better communicate that here in the office. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, I hope to be an example to my family and to, to be the leader of my family, spiritually speaking. Um, but over this last year, I've begun to to pull that into the office more. And so that's something that's always on my mind uh, personally. And I'm trying to, to continue to, to be better, do better, and to keep communicating that here internally, or not even communicating, but, but in, through just through the way that I'm living and then things that I'm doing in the company, you know, it's like, I'm trying, I'm trying to do <laughs> the best that I can there. It's, I'm not always successful. What has been, I want to come back to some other things you said in a minute, but you just, you just made a great point. What are some of the greatest lessons or shifts that you've kind of figured out in the last year being a part of C12? What are maybe some key breakthroughs that you've had that have allowed you to do more of that, to kind of live it inside the business? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, one thing is, is just how to do it, you know, because I've always... I remember having a conversation with my business partner and, and, and we're, we were both, you know, both Christians and, and both, both strong believers. Um, and I, I remember when we first started the company, I told Scott, like, I, I don't know how you feel about this. We're still trying to kind of, we had worked together, but we're trying to figure out kind of the direction of the company. I said, I, I'm really, I'm opposed to, to having, to leading with we're a Christian organization, even though it was just the two of us, right? At that time. And we truly were um, because I, I just, I had this feeling that, I didn't want to have financial gain as a result of that piece. Now, I, I was thinking wrong. I, that, I don't think that was uh, that. That's we shouldn't have necessarily had that sort of mindset. I was a little off base. C12 has shown me that I am off base with that because it's not about that. It's really not. It, it's it's more about having your Christian values be communicated into the business with your own people mm -hmm. and then having those Christian values. And we have our own company core values, of course, but to have those values um, that being felt by the client and by the candidate and by the folks that we're working with in the market, whenever that's possible and the way that the business conducts itself contractually process wise, really through everything. Um, and C12 has given me and equipped me with the ability to to be able to um, to be able to do that internally, 
um, with confidence and without any fear, um, because you you know that's you worry. Uh, at least I did. I worried about like, well, can I say that? Can I do that? Can I have a Bible study? You know, can I pray before a meeting? Um, what if I make someone uncomfortable? What if you know? See, but C twelve has taught me that you can do all of those things. You can even have a chaplain if you want. Um, no problem. I have a book over on my table here. That's a, a book that I was given when I first started. That's basically a roadmap um, to make sure that not only are you doing it, but you're doing it within the boundaries of you know, uh, the legalistic side of things, yeah. uh, which are much broader than what I thought they would be. Yeah, um, they really are. They really yeah. are. What I imagine that everyone who works for you is not a believer. Um, no. And so what would be interesting is like over the past year, um, what has been your greatest growth as you really, with knowing you've got believers and non-believers in the company, what's been the greatest growth among the employees who are on the receiving end of this that you've seen um, because of your decision to do this? Um, I mean, that's still TBD, you know, it's, 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 it's early days. Um, I've, I'm a newer member to C12. And I think these things take time, oh, you know, yeah. um, we, you know, we've, we've had Bible study um, here in the office with a small group. We're looking at reformatting that, doing something a little bit different to make it a little bit harder to access it. Um, Cause I don't want people to feel, um, I don't want people to feel like they, they have to be part of that to be part of the company per se. I don't want people to feel pressure in that way sure. that would have people operating outside of their own belief system to, to jump into that. I want them to be sincere in that. So I'm actually, we're reformatting the Bible study and doing something a little bit different um, mm -hmm. starting this month. In fact, to make it a little bit more difficult to be part of it, we're going to do it in the morning um, early so you got to get up, you got to, you know, you really got to want to be there. Um, <laughs> and instead of making it easy where it's just you walk in over lunch. Um, I think the main thing is the, you know, just living it out. Um, yeah. And, you know, I've, I've, I've got a big whiteboard in my office that, you know, when people come in and sit down and you know, there's, we're always kind of pointing to that. There's, you know, there's a handful of scriptures that are written across the top that I need to, to see every day there for me personally. Sure. Um, but when somebody's in here talking with me, they're right there front and center. Oh, and cool. we, you know, we have um, C12 gives you this little plaque that you can put up at your, you know, front of your office. That's there. So we get a lot of questions like, hey, what's C12? And I get to talk to them about it. And, I, and I've been really front and center with that, and letting them know hey, I learned this in C12. We're going to reformat um, this or we're going to, you know, do this in the business um, and, and modify because there's a lot of really good business content coming from those guys, too. I don't, I don't mean to make this a commercial for C12. I know they wouldn't mind, but, um, <clears throat> but it, it brings questions. And whenever I come with new information after my sessions, I share the materials with all of my leadership team. Mm. Um, I've been encouraged to do that from my mentor at C12, Tom. Um, and it helps to get us on the same page. You know, you know what's uncanny? Um, and it's just the way God works. But the timeliness of like what is coming next you know, for the curriculum yeah. um, and they plan it this way. So it kind of formats on the year um, so that, you, you know, it's kind of time to strategic planning stuff is in the right place and that sort of thing. Um, but some things that are just kind of just random, like um, marketing direction, right. And, and, and those sort of things or merger and acquisition, whatever. 
Like I'll be thinking about those things and talking about those things. And then I'll get the curriculum in my inbox <laughs> and it's on that. And that's happened. Like it happens half the time where it's exactly on time. I'm like this is crazy. That's, that's awesome. just nuts. That's awesome. Hey, I want to talk a little bit because I love what you guys are doing at adaptive medical partners, because I think that, you know, especially for people who live in bigger cities or in, in more Metro type areas, there's always like, yeah, no, no, no. I understand that we need healthcare providers, but you guys have kind of carved out a niche in this rural area of kind of going after that. Maybe kind of tell our, my audience a little bit about how did you find that niche or what really got you guys passionate about going to that area? Well, I mean, there is passion there in going to that area, but I, I couldn't take credit for carving out that niche. Um, not, as a, not as a firm, but I'll say this, that the nature of what we're doing um, physician recruitment on a permanent basis. And, you know, there's costs associated with that. We put, we put consultants on that search. They go on site. They understand every aspect of not just the job and the facility where the doctor's going to work, but they'll go out in, in the community, either with the hospital CEO, if they've been there for a long time, or even a realtor, and they'll understand housing market, the quality of the schools, and really be able to answer every question that a physician that's completely unfamiliar with that state even, they'll be able to tell them everything they need to know about not just the opportunity, but really what it is to live there. It's a big part of a, a physician going into a community like that, even if they're coming out of a rural area, is to, um, is the community piece. You know, it's, it's the, the jobs, of, you know, 15 to 20% of it, and that's gonna be where a lot of the decision lies. But if the community is wrong for them, then mm. it's a no-go. And, and that's a big factor. That's where spouse is going to need to maybe sometimes find employment. These days it's easier because everybody's remote, you know, yeah. um, where their kids are going to grow up and, and what that's going to be like, what their quality of life is going to be when they go to the grocery store. You know, it's just, it's all of it really. So that niche is, is just by, it's just by the nature of what we're doing because in a metropolitan city, like Dallas, New Orleans, Houston, wherever, um, you've got a lot of amenity and you've got training programs there. And most physicians want to be in the, the, the when they come out of training, they, they wanna be where they are because they've made friends, they've made family through residency. Um, you know, sometimes they've had kids through residency, maybe not started school, but you know, they, they, they've started to build their family there. Um, so the first place that they typically wanna be is where they are. Um, that's not possible for all of them. Um, so they'll start to look at other metropolitan cities, but you've got amenity and you've got airports and you've got mm. private schools and you've got a lot of things that rural areas just don't offer. There's, there's a very limited part of the population that come out of training that either want to go home to the rural area they came from. There are a lot of doctors that do that um, or to get to a similar area um, to where they came from um, that, that just love being that, not country doctor, I wouldn't say that because some of these communities these days, even in rural areas, you know, you're an hour from a major airport, you know, sure. uh, Southeast Kentucky is a, um, you know, it's, it's, it's rural. And one of the communities there that we started with when we first started the company was um, like 7,500 people, uh, a regional hospital there. Um, that hospital facility looked like a hospital that'd be sitting right in Lexington or Louisville, mm -hmm. you know, so the facility was fantastic. Um, but you could live there and you could have horses and land. You couldn't really do that as easily in a major metro market. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that attract doctors to those areas, um, but there's also a lot of things that 
that, that don't. Um, so they need a little bit more effort than, um, than maybe a metropolitan hospital would. And that's where kind of the firm comes in and where adaptive comes in is that we can be the competitive difference when they're trying to compete with hospitals. You know, if you've got a hospital in um, Palestine, Texas, which is, you know, out kind of halfway between Dallas and Austin, small rural community, yeah. they're competing with the, uh, with the hospitals that are in Austin and Dallas for the candidates that want to be there or even Tyler, um, you know, a little bit bigger quarter million people or whatever. So it's hard for them to, com- to, to be able to compete um, based on location. So some of them have to step up with compensation a little bit. Um, what's, what a lot of people don't know is that typically a rural physician will out earn a metropolitan one. Mm. Um, and typically their cost of living is less. Lower. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that makes it attractive, but the amenity that you're competing with and, and just everything that you can get and the mindset of doctors when they're coming out of training uh, and a lot of the physicians that we have in the, I'm sorry to ramble on about this, but no. a lot of physicians, you know, that we're, we have coming online these days are form providers and a form provider has a harder, typically will have a harder time duplicating any parts of their homelands, wherever that happens to be in a rural market, but in, in, you know, in new Orleans, they could find a, you know, a grocery store that kind of caters to their, um, what they like and what they want. And that's a little bit more difficult to do in the rural market. So there are a lot of physicians that, that are foreign born physicians that are in that rural market. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that have great quality of life and that absolutely love it there. Um, but that's been slowly changing over the last, five or 10 years, I would say, um, it's not what they instantly think of. Mm-hmm. So when you're in that rural market and you're a hospital CEO and you're trying to recruit, you know, you have all of these different components that you have to, to deal with. In addition to running the hospital, a lot of rural hospitals don't have an in-house team. They don't necessarily have the same support that a big metropolitan hospital would have. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of different factors. So I can't take credit for, for the market. Uh, well, but I mean, it seems more a lot more relational than, you know, recruiting to a metropolitan area because you've got to know the family. You've got to know what they want, what they desire and what they dream about for the future to make sure it exists. Right. It is really all about the people. Yeah. 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 Whereas you could probably get away with running a company that wasn't as much about the people if it was all metropolitan. Maybe. Yeah. I think that's changing on us, too, though, these days. Yeah, it's changed through the pandemic. I think that you know, core values and and culture and quality of life and all those things are kind of front of mind for everybody. I equate it to you know when you're coming back from vacation. Yeah. When you've been on vacation for a week and then you're coming back from vacation, how hard that is. Yeah. It's it's almost like the whole world went on vacation, not truly vacation, but sure. through pandemic days of you know kind of just being at home and not really being able to go everywhere. Uh, Hopefully we kind of come out of that soon. Hopefully. Hopefully. I would love for you to tell a little bit. I mean, you are co-founder and CEO of this company. So you don't wake up day one and just decide you're going to go do this. I'd love to know a little bit more kind of about your journey and your story of how you and Scott even maybe got to this point, but probably more you. Like what drove you? What kind of happened in your background? Again, keeping with the mind, the idea this is redefining success. Maybe what what were you looking for as you were on this trajectory to to set up and found this company? That's a great question. If I start to ramble on, Eric, you just um, just <laughs> raise your hand and, and I'll and I'll stop. Apologies for for that. Um, no, I love that question. 
you know, and I, I, Scott and I worked together um, the, a couple of years before we jumped off and started Adaptive. Um, and the name Adaptive is very intentional because at that time, that was 2010 when we started um, Adaptive. And this isn't just pointing at the organization that we were both with previously. It was the industry at that time it was very rigid. Um, and what I mean by that is that in, in the retained industry, um, physician recruitment on this retained basis, which is what you found working predominantly in the, in the rural market, they had very rigid processes where mm. if a recruiter talked to a candidate and they were a good candidate for that particular search, um, they, the, the recruiter would dictate to the hospital administrator. This was very typical in that time. It's changed now, fortunately. But then it would, it would be that the recruiter would say, you, you need to get this physician in in this time frame. Um, and then once you have them in, we're, we're going to immediately offer them after. And there were about 30 other steps um, that the recruiter would dictate to the facility. And if the, if the facility wasn't able to, um, to follow that process all the way through, and then the placement didn't happen, then typically what happened is the recruiter would point to the facility. And so you didn't follow my process. That's why we didn't get the candidate. Mm. Um, you know, that's really generalizing and, and saying, but it was, it was from the, from the facility standpoint, um, if you would talk to any hospital recruiter, um, and really in any, in any rural market um, or any hospital CEO that was doing their own recruiting that had exposure to firms back then and in, in the, um, all through the 2000s up into 2000, probably 15, they would have all had similar stories to tell about organizations they had worked with that they had the process. Now, there is something to the process, so I get it, you know, that there are some, some very critical things that, that the client side um, needs to hit. And that's true for, you know, and sometimes you're, you're, you're resharing some things they already know, reminding about things they already know, um, or placing a, a lot of importance on particular steps. I mean, one thing that, that still to this day that was part of that process then is very important now is engaging the spouse whenever the physician goes out, male or female, doesn't matter um, because of the community component being such a huge piece of it. So facilities that, um, that don't engage the spouse and leave them sitting in the hotel room um, while the physician's interviewing and allow them to, to just kind of go and figure things out on their own around the community, they have a harder time placing that candidate all the way through. So there's some carryover pieces of it, but there was a lot of the process and especially that kind of finger wag moment at the end, if the placement didn't happen, that just, we didn't feel it should have to be that way. Yeah. And, that, and, and, and it's so, Every facility, because the people are different, the community, the, the jobs and the communities and the hospitals themselves, there's a lot of things that are the same in any rural market, in any critical access hospital or community hospital. There's a lot of sameness um, and because of the area and just the nature of it. But what's different in every single one are the people um, and the culture of the people that they've built into that facility, um, the processes that they've come up with and kind of how they navigate the recruitment process or any process for that matter. And Scott and I both felt that it should be more about them than mm -hmm. us. And so when we would go in, when, in those early days when it was just the two of us, and we'd continue this all the way through, is that we're understanding how they've done it, where they've had barriers to success and failures in the past, so that we can really understand all of that. Um, and then our process isn't just our process. It's something that we come up with together, the recruiter and the person that we're communicating with at the hospital. We come up with our communication cadence and our reporting cadence 
and um, we really fully understand the, the parameters that they're looking for for a candidate um, and just all of those details. And then the process is kind of developed um, in those first meetings that we have and it's adapted, adaptive to what it is that we're trying to accomplish because it, it could be different for uh, a urologist than for a nurse practitioner in a family clinic or a pediatrician or an OB. So there's some things that are kind of specialty specific um, that you just absolutely need to do with some and, and not everybody. But the critical piece of it is the people that you're recruiting to and also the candidate that you're pulling in because you need to adapt to what it is that they really need to see as important, what's important to them and their family whenever they come into the community. So when you think about that, this is, so you guys had a vision to go start something. Um, and one of the things I'd love to kind of understand is so you had a vision to go do something. What are some of the obstacles you guys ran into as you're doing this? You're like, cause I think what we always imagine as entrepreneurs is this utopia of what we're going to create. And then <laughs> it's that we can, it, you, it's impossible to create the utopia. So then we're, we're, we're learning the lessons and figuring out, okay, so how can, what can we really do to redefine and do this niche? But I want to be careful with one thing, David, because what I, what I want to know is what is the lesson that you learned? And the reason I say I want to be careful with this is because I think you're probably in the middle of some lessons today that COVID is teaching you and some obstacles that COVID is putting on you that maybe the lesson hasn't revealed itself yet. So there's probably a temptation to start talking about some things that are going on today, but I'd like to maybe back up, maybe it's pre-COVID or mid-COVID or whatever, and talk a little bit about those obstacles before we even talk about what's going on today, if that's okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, it was a long time ago. It was 12 years ago. Um, uh, 12 and a half now. Um, we had a lot of plans. Um, and um, I had a, a mentor tell me whenever I was, I was kind of, I was downloading him with, with everything. It was, it was 20 years older than me um, and had been a university professor, a wise gentleman. Um, and I was telling him our plans and what we were going to do. And I had projected the, the, the number of clients and I'd done all of this. And he kind of giggled whenever I showed him all of this. He was like, one thing that you're going to learn pretty quickly is that, that, that it's good that you have a plan, but none of that's going to happen that way. <laughs> it's, it's all going to be different than what you're thinking it's going to be and what you're, what you're planning for. Um, and he was absolutely right. One of the funny things about our start is that I came from kind of a sales background mm -hmm. and my business partner had been in recruiting and, and uh, of the two of us, he was, had more experience with directly recruiting for, for clients than, than I did um, at that time. So we went out with the plan that I was going to be responsible for the business development when we first started and he would be responsible for the searches. Now, even though we knew that was kind of going to be our roles, the main thing is, is that we, we, we understood that we kind of both be doing everything. Yeah. Um, but um, Scott was able to, he was, he onboarded our first several clients um, and our first placement was made by me. We were, we flip-flopped. Oh, wow. So it's like every, everything it seemed like in that first year was a little bit, um, was a little bit uh, backwards. Um, but I, I guess the, the, the main lesson that I learned there, there were a lot of times um, where we were down to, you know, hundreds of dollars in the company account. We hadn't paid ourselves um, we, you know, we, we hit some major, major obstacles in that first year, which a lot of companies do when they're first starting out that could have very easily and, and even almost did a couple of times have us thinking, 
are we equipped to do this? Mm. Um, it, it, you know, what, can, can we continue doing this? Um, you know, questioning ourselves, our confidence was hit a couple times. Um, but we stayed in it. We just kept, we kept pushing through each day, just putting one foot in front of the other and, and, and doing what we could to affect long-term change within the day. It was really just bringing it all the way back to what can we do today that's going to propel us and, and make this a good week? What's going to make this a good month? And just taking off bites that we could we could actually digest and we could actually move forward and you know eat an elephant one bite at a time, sort of sort of thinking. Um, and fortunately, we had our faith to lean on in some of those darkest times. You know, and I, the, those are to me that, and I don't think I'm alone here. When things are really difficult like that, it pushes you so close. It does me. I, I get pushed so close to the word and, and being faithful um, and prayerful and really consistent whenever things are really difficult like that. Um, it, for me, it's harder when things are going really well um, mm. to, to abide. Yeah. And, and abiding in the word and staying true is, um, you know, that during those difficult times and all through the pandemic, that's been one of the, I guess, one of the blessings for, um, for me and for my family is that going through that and the challenges to the company coming through that hospitals were paralyzed in the spring of 20. Um, they were dealing with full hospital loads. Um, you know, staffing was not, unless it was like quick turn, you know, temporary staffing to, to beef up there, but we're doing permanent placements. So we weren't in that, um, that quick turn thing. We were trying to find people to come there and stay there. So those more long-term goals all through the summer of 20 were just kind of turned off. Um, so it, it was challenging and we weren't a remote company going into the pandemic. So mm. we had a handful, a couple of people that were remote. So fortunately we kind of knew what to do with our full staff remote, but that was a big adjustment for us um, is just not all being together in the same place yeah. um, and still trying to make things, make things go. So, yeah, that was the lesson that I learned is, you know, you, you, you pull close to the word, you pull close to the people around you that you love and you persevere and you just push through. You got to dig deep to find courage because it, it's hard um, starting a company. So anybody out there that's in that first year and in that place, I'm praying for you because um, it's, it's not easy. But once you survive that first year and then you get past your first first five um, it doesn't get any easier. <laughs> My favorite comment from a gentleman one time, he said the difference between an employee and an employer is that an employer is comfortable putting payroll on the credit card. <laughs> we haven't had to do that yet. yet. So <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm happy for that. But you've been close. And that's oh, in those early days, yeah, absolutely we were. Uh, it was just the two of us. We had a non-compete when we first started the company. Um, so we had to be 75 miles away from where our, our previous employer was located. So that first year, we were sleeping in the office. Wow. Um, because it was an hour and 45 minutes because construction and where we chose to be, yeah. it was just a, that, that was a, uh, it didn't work out like we had planned. Um, back to what I was told, nothing did. Um, so Monday night and I think uh, Thursday night, we would just stay there. We'd get inflatable mattresses and stay in there. Yeah, it was, I could go into a lot of detail, but I won't about <laughs> just how miserable that first year's experience was. So, but it made you who you are today, right? I mean, those are the, 
those are the moments. Oh, we've got some great bologna sandwich stories and, and yeah, some great stories around some of that that we still tell, you know, 12, 13 years later to folks coming in that they kind of see who we are now and we want them to understand that that's not where we started. Um, that it's when been, you look at, so again, the theme of the show being redefining success. When you look at when you guys started, like what you thought success was going to be versus what you would define success as today, what's changed? Yeah, and that's uh, that's that, um, yet another great question. The main thing is, is that when we first went into this, I, I don't I don't think that Scott or myself um, thought that we would be where we are today. Like I, I, when we first started, I, we, we went into this thinking we want to do good quality work. And, you know, I think our early kind of plans, if we really had a long-term sort of strategy of where we would end up um, with, you know, maybe 10 or 12 people or something and, and, and just have a good quality of life, um, have a good group of people around us, do good quality work, um, but, you know, not get, you know, not, not huge, just gobs of, of, of you know, margin and, and bringing in a ton of, a ton of money. And it wasn't about the money. It was more about the kind of just the, being able to do it the way we wanted to do it and to be able to provide for our families in a, in a meaningful way. Yeah. It was, that's where we were coming into it at. And I, I feel good about that. I'm glad that we had that sort of mindset. Um, but it was, it was still tied to kind of that financial side. Like we wanted security, financial security, and we wanted to do this on our own. That was the way we came into it. But that changed um, as we started to bring in more and more people um, because then it shifted to what made me most proud um, from year three on to today and still does is when we bring somebody on that's new and we bring a lot of people into um, our sales team and support roles and that sort of thing, even today into some of the recruiting roles. And we teach them everything about what we do in healthcare. We're, we're not necessarily going and pulling a lot of people in from other agencies that already know everything. So we get the experience of having folks come in that have maybe had a job or two out of college um, and really see them grow into their career here. So when somebody buys that new car or gets a new house um, or has a, a new baby on the way, those sort of things. Those, those are, or has a, a, a working spouse that, you know, that then doesn't have to work. Those are the moments that mm -hmm. I want to create more of. Um, and the pandemic's made that hard these last three or four years, you know, or not three or four years, but this last two or three years. Um, it's made that hard. So I'm looking forward to seeing those things start to come back. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what motivates me. It sounds so like hard on the sleeve, like wholesome, that it almost doesn't even sound honest, but I'll, I'll tell you that, that I know that in my heart and in my business partner's heart um, and even my leadership team, the moments that we're most proud is when we see somebody that grows up into this business and can really do things that they, they wanted to do when they came in. They want, they set out to, to buy that first house, um, to start a family, to have you know, a spouse stay at home. Uh, those to me are my most proud moments internally with my own people. Mm. But I get super proud every time we place a doctor with one of our clients. Yeah. That's really satisfying to me. I remember what it feels like to be a recruiter in a seat mm. uh, and, and place a doctor all the way through. I worked accounts. Um, I would do business development and recruitment and had accounts until just maybe six or seven years ago. I was still doing that and I miss it. I miss it now. Um, I, some days I wish that I could just go out there and plug into a cube and just get on the phone and, and talk to a bunch of candidates and place somebody. Um, it was fun to me yeah. for a long time. Um, 
because you're and you're making such impact in the community where you bring them into. Um, and you're, it's, it's not an easy thing to pull off. You know, it's, 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 it's harder than running a marathon, which yeah. you and I talked about once before. Yeah. So David, we're going to, we're going to run up against time here before we kind of finish up. Is there anything we didn't get to talk about that you wanted to make sure you got to share today? Um, not, I mean, no, not necessarily. Not, but the, the one thing, especially kind of going back to the point and the main question here, which is redefining success. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a there was a number of years to me that success was uh, more in growth and financial growth. And, and my my I would define success that was tied to that type of scorecard. And that's still important. We still need to have a strong financially strong company to be able to grow and to do the things that we need to do. That's still very important. Um, but to me, success to me is that, but also getting there um, the right way, uh, demonstrating our, our own sort of Christian driven core values um, and to be an example uh, to the people that are in the office, not just me, but the, but all of us to be an example to one another and to, to, to grow spiritually as well. I love that. I love that. Um, David, if people want to follow the work that you guys are doing or just kind of keep up with things um, on your end, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, we're pretty active on social media, so they can look at Adaptive Medical Partners on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. LinkedIn's a great uh, resource. And of course, our website. We have, if you're interested in healthcare and the staffing side of healthcare, there's a lot of blog stuff that goes on. That's AdaptiveMedicalPartners.com. Awesome. Awesome. And then you've made enough of a commercial for C12. I think it's C12. <laughs> <laughs> or it may be .org. Uh, Is it, no, one of the two, you will find it. You will find it. Um, so my very last question is always the same. And I'm going to ask you today that before we finish up, which is in three generations, what do you hope your great grandchildren remember about you? That's a, that's a big question. Um, so I'm, I'm fortunate. I was, I was blessed with a saint of a mom. Um, she passed away in 2015. Mm. Uh, and, and she was always the patriarch of our family. She had four sisters. So there were five girls total. Um, she was, she was the type of person that if she was on an airplane and you sat next to her, you were going to hear about Jesus. She was amazing. Amazing lady. Um, she spent almost all of her working career um, with the Southern Baptist convention versus a, an administrator, like a secretary, and then doing speaking engagements for them. Um, that's not my platform like hers, but I hope that like me and my siblings and my kids look to my mom as kind of the patriarch and the example of how to live a good life and how to be a good human being. Um, I hope that my great grandkids would have a similar sort of feeling about me and I'm going to fall short of mom. Um, but if I'm even close to that, um, I will have, um, I, I, I will have done well, um, by them. I think I love that. I love that. David, unfortunately, we've run out of time. We could probably keep talking for another hour. So thank you so much for yeah. just making the time to be with us today. Yeah, it was great talking to you, Eric. Thank you so much. Yeah. So thank you, everyone who's with us. Um, it's been another great episode, and we will see you again next time. God bless you. Have a great day. Eric L. Dunavit here. Thank you so much for joining us for Redefining Success, the Kingdom Builder Spotlight. If you're a business owner or a family, 
who is actively redefining success or have thoughts on kingdom impact or generational prosperity, and you would like to be a guest on the show, then I invite you to apply. Visit www.ericldonovan.com slash podcast slash apply. Also, if you enjoyed today's episode, I would love for you to share that either through text or social media. Take a screenshot of the show and share that and share what you learned. If you know anyone that should be a guest on our show, we would also love for you to connect us to them. The best way to do that is to use hashtag redefining success. I love to read your thoughts and shares on social media. And we also are honored just to get any recommendations of people that you think we should be interviewing on the show. We are constantly adding new content, adding new podcasts. So first and foremost, I'm going to recommend that you subscribe so that you don't miss a thing. Also, you, all of your likes, your reviews, your shares, all of that makes a big difference to the show. So if you'll include those when you can, we definitely appreciate it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, visit www.ericl360.com and all of my connections to social and other ways to get in touch with me are there. This is Eric L. Dunavant, the Mindset Disruption Strategist, signing off until next time.